I do not want to update Google Photos. Stop asking me. All right, hour number two. Welcome to the program. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Those are the phone numbers. You can also, well, don't email me. I can't get it. But you can uh, hit me up on the Twitter machine, at Pete Callender. Uh, that's uh, that's my mode of communication while the Wi-Fi is down. Apparently, it's a there's a trouble ticket's been submitted, and uh, somebody is, I think, trying to shepherd the ones and zeros as we speak. Um, let me uh, in the uh, end, uh, end of the last hour we were talking about uh, this uh, U.S. Senate race here in North Carolina. We got the debate between Sherry Beasley and Ted Budd. It's going to occur. I'm sorry, like I. I don't mean anything by that. It's not a negative. I'm just saying it. Once you heard, once I heard that endorsement ad, you know, the, when President Trump endorsed Ted Budd at the Republican convention, the state convention, like a year or so ago, and that's the way he pronounced his name. And I just can't ever not. It's just fun to say it like that. Anyway, Ted Budd, uh, they're they're going to debate tomorrow night, um, the prime Friday evening slot. Yes, um, and so. Uh, I've noticed that there's a lot of push in the uh, the media and among Democrats, but I repeat myself, uh, to get more money flowing to Sherry Beasley. We could totally flip this seat, says the media, uh, quoting, of course, Democrat strategists that are all on their knees begging for more money to flow to Sherry Beasley. We could totally win North Carolina. But the problem, as I went over last hour, the problem for the Democrats is that they've got 14 seats that they're trying to protect and five of them are very vulnerable and this is not a republic or this is not a democrat held seat so they're not going to plow a bunch of money into protecting an incumbent or to, or to keep one of it because it's a 50-50 split right now think about that it's 50-50 right now they got 14 seats they're defending and five of them are toss-ups or or you know on the uh, on the line all right let me go over here to david welcome to the program david what's going on yeah, hey Pete. I uh, just want to say again, I love your show, man. Thank you. I, I find you entertaining and insightful. Oh, awesome! And, that's um, that's. I try to I get. Have, I try to get both of them. I'm not yeah. always successful. Yeah, you do a good job. You really do a good job. <laughs> Thanks. I was just trying to piggyback off of the debate question. I'm sorry, I got, I'm getting another call on my line, so you're, you're going to hear my. Do you need to put me on hold? Do you, do you need no, to... no, no, no. It'll, oh, okay. it, it'll go to voicemail in a second. But <laughs> I, you know, I'm afraid I'd lose you if I tried to get rid of them. I hear you. Um. So you know. My 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 uh, piggyback off the debates is you know I don't really think a lot of people watch the debates mm-hmm. and I think what ends up happening is nobody watches it and so the only thing they ever hear is the little snippet yep. that the news takes or the news radio takes. Yep. So you know why you know if 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 you know that the media is probably favoring one uh, one opponent over another opponent. <gasps> Why would you want to do that? Why would you why would you set yourself up for, you know, being you know, pigeonholed into a 30 right. second, you know, you know, message that, you know, maybe you said during the debate. Right. So, so so it sounds like you're making an argument for more people to watch more debates. Well, if, if <laughs> yeah, 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 I guess right. if that if that would if that would happen, that would be good. But right. I just don't know if that's going to happen. But you know? so, but you're right. From a candidate I mean, perspective, you, you, look at, you look at the Ted Budd and Sherry Beasley debate Friday. I mean, it's going to have. It's not going to. You're not going to see a million people listening to that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And but what you are going to see is the news media pulling out thirty seconds of it and playing it on the six o'clock news and on the morning radio and the yeah. afternoon radio. Well, look, and this is why. And this is why uh, one of the things that people are, uh, like when they when we sit down to have a de- have the debate over the debates, right? When when the media outlet sits down or the the moderator, and I've done enough of these where like you sit down and you talk with the the candidates or the organization that's putting it on. And there are rules that are agreed to ahead of time, right? And yep. media likes having the the short uh, uh, time periods for answers. This way they can get more questions in. Sorry, we're going to put you on a 60-second clock, right? And I'm going to ask you this question, you know, uh, uh, how do we fight China? 60 seconds, go, right? And then you get one guy says 60 seconds worth, one guy says 60 seconds worth, and then we move on to another question. Okay, so, you know, solve world peace in 60 seconds, go. And... What that that lends itself to the media pulling out sound bites more easily. But here's the other dirty secret: the candidates like it too, because yeah. then they don't have to answer the question. Just sixty seconds, they can tap dance away from a a, a tough question uh, and uh, and not suffer any kind of uh, real damage from it. So uh, there's so much of it that is a show. Yes. Um, and which is like, I'm going to pull audio. I'm going to watch it tomorrow night. I'm going to pull audio from it and we're going to listen to the answers because I don't know what's going to be said. Now, sometimes there may not be anything really newsworthy and maybe we don't cover any of it, but yeah. I'm going to try to give people the uh, uh, information that I think uh, they're going to want to know because like you said, a lot of people don't watch them. Yeah. Well, I will say that, you know, I've been to probably six different town halls so far this year. I won't call them town halls, but they'll be you know, where the candidates up in front of people yeah. talking and taking questions. Yeah. And even there, it's a little iffy because, you know, you can't have any kind of discussion around the question. You ask your question, they answer right. it, and then they move on. But those are much more effective. So Do you get time? About, if you're out there worried about debate, you know, go to the town hall. Right. I agree. Know? Do you get time after those forums to get up and talk to people, uh, the candidates, one-on-one? Yes, if you yeah. don't mind waiting around, right. usually the candidates sit around and and wait around the entire time until everybody's satisfied. Now, sometimes I've, ha- I've had two where they've had to go, right. but they were there for a good 45 minutes afterwards right. to talk to people. Well, and um, that's the it's, one-on-one. It's, so, it's one of the things, you know, we see the images out of, like, New Hampshire, for example, right? Uh, and the video and stuff where these candidates go up to New Hampshire and they're walking around, uh, you know, for the for the presidential primary and stuff. And they're going through the, the, the restaurants and the diners and they're, you know, they're doing all these town halls. Well, well, why do they do that? Why do the candidates feel like they have to do that? Because the the voters up there demand that, and they participate, right. right? They go in, they go to those diners, they go to those, and they want to talk to all of the candidates that come through, and they want to ask them their questions. And if the candidates know that there's going to be a payoff for them by behaving like that, then they will behave like that. But yep. if they get rewarded for ignoring people, then they're they're going to take that reward too. They're going to follow that path of least resistance as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking my call, man. Absolutely. I got to go, but, right, I, but I, I, I'll reiterate again. I really love your show. Thank you, David. Thank I appreciate it. It's good you. advice. Yeah, absolutely. It's great advice. Go to uh, the forums. You get one-on-one time with candidates, usually after the fact. You can talk with them afterwards. That's when, look, as a reporter, um, I would go and hang out at these events, and I would sit and I would listen, and obviously I would pull sound bites if there was some exchange that was particularly newsworthy. Um, and then, and look, that's a subjective thing. I've always said that that's totally subjective. What is news? 
But that's the first fundamental question that every reporter and editor and newsroom has to ask itself, right? And Or herself, himself. You have to ask yourself that, what is newsworthy? That's a subjective question because you don't have infinite resources. You got to go and you got to watch a debate. And if you're sending your one reporter on shift, you know, for that evening, you get one reporter for that newsroom, which generally was the case when I worked here. Um, I was we didn't have a whole army of reporters to send out to multiple events on any given night. So if there was a candidate debate and I went and covered the candidate debate, I had to turn a story. That's the deal. There had to be a story that came out of this event. And um, so I would have to find something that I would think would be the most interesting or informative, uh, the most newsworthy, because those are my like those were my checklists. Those were my two things. Is it is it informative? Is it interesting? Right. Is this information that people need? Is it interesting? In other words, is it information that people want? And. Uh, if it if it can check those boxes, then that's what I would focus on as the as the the primary uh, story. And if you're doing a debate, you can have lots of different angles off of it. Uh, but that question of what is news, that is a subjective question. And when I watch that debate tomorrow night, I will, I guarantee you, I will come up with different responses and sound bites that I think is uh, that I think are newsworthy than say, oh, you know, like an NPR affiliate. They may find some other questions to be far more important for their audience. Just going to take a guess here. I'm thinking it might be the abortion question. They're going to find that to be the most important. They may lead with that one. Whereas like I may find the most important question to be, I don't know, something on immigration or crime or No, actually, probably if the polling is accurate, the economy, which is why Democrats aren't interested in talking about that. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Bunch of different stories over the last 24, 48 hours here about Whether or not Democrats are headed for victory or disappointment in North Carolina in the U.S. Senate race, there is an active campaign going on right now to get outside expenditure groups to uh, push all chips in on Cherry Beasley in North Carolina. So uh, voting is underway, right? The absentee balloting and all that stuff has gotten underway. I will get into the voter ID oral arguments. I got a bunch of audio. It's what I spent most of my time on, uh, actually, over the last, uh, well, Uh, Well, I slept for like six hours, so probably over like the last 15 hours or so. But let me get uh, Dan on. Hello, Dan. Welcome to the program. How are you? How are you, Pete? I'm good. What's going on? Hey, I wanted to ask if you've seen this ridiculous hit piece that Cedric the Entertainer did against Herschel Walker. I have. Like just the video of him talking to the camera. It's like a minute and a half, and it's for like uh, against seditionists or something like that, some well, political action group? He rails against Herschel Walker and how ignorant, his word, not mine, mm. he is about politics and, and current affairs. Mm. And then he says, we don't need no more senators like Marjorie Taylor. Right. I hate to tell him her name is Marjorie Taylor Green. And, and she's, she's not, not a, a senator. Yeah, she's huh? a congressman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as being ignorant, I think uh, Cedric can step right up. Well, look, I say this uh, about a lot of politicians in many different election cycles and races, which is 
they really are our representatives, are they not? I mean, people get people get all mad about, oh, this person's an idiot. Oh, that politician stinks. Yeah, but so do we. So are we like as a population, we have our fair share of idiots, too, and liars. And so why wouldn't they reflect who we are as well? Well, that's a great point. And at the same time, I guess people like uh, Senator Warnock don't scare me nearly as badly as an electorate who would put him in office. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, too, and I'm, I'm aware of the Herschel Walker uh, scandal. And, and, like, again, this is a scandal because not it, not because of the original story, but because of the cover-up. That's what always gets you in trouble. See, look, look at the difference, too, with the way, uh, for folks who aren't aware of this, uh, it was that uh, a woman came forward and told the Daily Beast uh, website, which it's the Daily Beast, so you're right to be suspicious of anything they publish. But they published a story saying that he paid for an abortion in, back in 2009. And he initially says, I don't know who this woman is because she was anonymous. I don't know what she's talking about. It's all a lie. Well, then it turns out he actually had gotten this woman pregnant twice, and one of them yielded a baby and is now one of his children out of wedlock or something. Or uh, uh, that he, I don't even know the details. I don't care about the details. The, the fact, because I'm not voting in Georgia, but the fact remains he, he played dumb about this, and now he's going to have to explain that. When he could Absolutely. have, he should have just done what Mark Robinson did. Like you, you just make it part of your redemption story. I learned from these mistakes. This was a mistake, and all of that. But he's not. He, he didn't do that. I'm not really carrying the water for Herschel Walker. I guess. But what I really wanted to point out was how one would think that the Democratic Party might have vetted this piece before they released it, and uh, it is very typical of some of their media pieces that are so very condescending to call somebody else ignorant right. uh, out of a really ignorant mouth. Well, and yeah, and so think of it, he's, he's attacking Herschel Walker, and what's the what's the allegation regarding the uh, uh, the story that, you know, Walker paid for an abortion? Because the, the Democrats don't care that he paid for an abortion, right? In their view, abort, well, abort every that. kid. Yeah, they don't care. Just uh, have as many as you want. Pay for as many as you want. Yay, right? So it's not the matter of abortion. What is it that they are uh, that they are attacking him on? It's the charge of, of what hypocrisy, right? He's a hypocrite, and they think that that's going to dissuade people from voting for Walker because he's a hypocrite. But as you just mentioned, you got Cedric the Entertainer, kind of a hypocrite too, complaining that somebody is an idiot and ignorant, not knowing what they're talking about, and then exhibits that very behavior himself. So it's not it. even. Hey Pete, love your show. All right, buddy. Appreciate the call, Dan. Yeah, it's a, it. It's not even a matter of. Well, this is why I say the charge of hypocrisy does not carry purchase any longer. It just doesn't. No one cares anymore. This idea, because hypocrisy works, the charge of hypocrisy works if you believe that there are like some neutral referees that, and and it doesn't necessarily even need to be like designated reps. It just needs to be sort of a a societal norm, right? That there's some sort of a a cultural norm that says, ew, you're a hypocrite. I'm not going to vote for you. And that that norm is applied writ large across all demographics, among all people and political parties and stuff. So if everybody is on board with this idea that you should not do something while saying others shouldn't do it, right? You should not engage in hypocrisy. However, if you start seeing your political opponents in this case engaging in hypocrisy, and they suffer no ramifications for doing so, why would anybody then 
try to adhere to that standard. And I recognize that there's value just inherently in trying to, you know, adhere to a, 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 a virtuous standard. But in politics, the people who are running for these offices that want to win those offices, like you, you, they're making a decision. And this, this is what was posed to me, right, in the presidential race last two election cycles. Oh, I know, you know, Trump is not the greatest person, but you got to vote for him in order to slay the monsters, right? He's, we're going to hire this guy, and he's going to go out and beat these guys where he's going to deal with them on their own terms. He's, he can fight back. He can punch back twice as hard or whatever, right? Like, this was, these were the arguments made. That's where we are. I don't deny, and this is why I, I kind of uh, perplex some people, I think, that they, they think I am, uh, uh, that, that I'm, you know, pro-Trump. Because I recognize where the where the society is. I'm not, I don't advocate for it. I'm not saying, yay, let's abandon all standards of virtue. I would very much like to get back to a point where somebody's uh, failings in, in their personal choices, where that would actually affect their electoral prospects. I'd like for that to happen because I think the way somebody lives their personal life does, in fact, reflect a little bit on how they would govern. I do think that stuff matters, but I've thought that stuff mattered for 30 years. But I'm also old enough to know uh, and remember that 30 years ago, I had half of the country telling me it didn't matter. One's personal life and their professional life are completely separate, right? Their personal, uh, the way they engage with various women, maybe one in the Oval Office, right? Like, that's totally different than whether or not they'd make a good president. Not my standard, folks. Your standard. And now everybody lives by it. That's where we are. See, that's the thing about slippery slopes. Slowly at first, and then very quickly. That's the way this goes. That's where we are. I don't advocate for it. I simply point it out. I recognize where we are. I recognize what the fight is and the terms uh, under which it's being fought. I swear. But I'll get to this audio. I spent, I watched the Supreme Court oral arguments and then I listened to them three different times pulling the audio. I'm going to get to it, I swear. But I got to finish this topic because if I don't finish the topic, then I'm not going to like Jen Psaki this thing and circle back to it. So, because it's like it's it's got a short shelf life. Some of these things got to go. They got to go. Got to move them. All right. Like a radio gig. Um, short shelf life? No? Okay. So there is a uh, there's a, this push to get a whole bunch more money backing Sherry Beasley uh, for the, uh, the run for U.S. Senate. Here is a piece at 538.com by Alex Samuels. For Democrats, North Carolina has recently been more of a white whale than a bird in the hand. No Democrat has won a statewide federal race since 2008. That is when President Barack Obama narrowly won the state by less than a point. And the late Democratic Senator Kay Hagan carried the state by a little over eight points. That's why I always say candidates matter. Candidates matter. Barack Obama carried the state by just on uh, by one percentage point, less than one percentage point. But Hagan won the state 
by more than eight. Why? She ran against Elizabeth Dole. And do you remember the ad that ran during that campaign that moved a lot? I asked Ted Budd about this yesterday. And this is sort of a general, generally accepted piece of information in campaigns and elections, which are uh, that there are, you know, your camps, uh, not to sound all Mitt Romney and 47%-esque, but uh, there are a core group on both sides. They're going to back their party's candidate, and then they're fighting over uh, what Limbaugh used to call them, right? The mushy middle, right? <laughs> they're fighting over that mushy middle. And, okay, well, how do you move them? And things break in a cycle, and once they start breaking, you start to see it. You start to see this movement as people kind of come around to uh, a candidate, or they come home. You hear, you hear this too, right? They'll come home to uh, the candidate. Like people will be, oh, I'm so mad, I'm going to vote third party, and then they come home. Right. So there is some of that. But this was Elizabeth Dole uh, ran that ad at the very end of the cycle. And uh, they pulled some audio out of a fundraiser that Hagan had attended up in New York. And they took a clip of her saying something like there is no God. And they ran this clip in a hit piece trying to cast Kay Hagan as some atheist Satan worshiper. It just didn't land well, particularly given the fact that she was like, I don't remember, like a like an elder of the church, she was like in the Episcopal Church or something. She was like one of their one of their clergy or something. So it really didn't land very well. And Elizabeth Dole got dragged for it. She also was not seen as, you know, a, a local, even though she had won before. And it was a bad election cycle for Dem- uh, for Republicans. So there were a lot of different things. But being, you know, candidates matter. Okay. It's not like the North Carolina either is a solidly red state. It has a partisan lean of R plus 4.8. So according to 538.com, North Carolina leaning 4.8 points to the Republican side. That's not a solid red state. Okay. Um, It puts it in the company of other swing states with competitive Senate races like Wisconsin and Nevada. Since 2008, Democrats have been successful at the statewide level with wins in both the governor's and attorney general's races in 16 and 20. See, now I would say the reason for that is the Democrat machine. See, the Democrat machine um, is so powerful that even after the scandals that left the party decimated in 2010 and saw the Republican rise to take the, uh, the General Assembly and even the governor's mansion, that even then... The Democrat machine is still so powerful in this state. It ran the state for almost a century and a half before 2010. So that's how strong it is. Um, Democrats have not been able to break through since Hagan's win in 2008. According to 538.com's midterm election forecast, Republican Representative Ted Budd currently has about a two in three chance of beating Sherry Beasley. Two in three chance. It's like 66% chance. That's pretty good. A couple of the reasons why Beasley could win, though, or not, they run through these. They say, first, Beasley has experience running and winning a statewide campaign. That is true. Um, She's maintained a significant financial edge over Bud. She's raised $10 million uh, and spent it on TV ads. Uh, Bud, um, only about $2 million. So she's like five times as much as, uh, as Bud. State demographics, 
She has not been shy in admitting that she hopes that she can gin up support among black voters who make up 22% of the citizen voting age population. Whitney Manzo, a professor of political science at North Carolina's Meredith College, says, quote, I think the party is banking on Beasley appealing to voters of color with the hope that she will energize voters in the same way that Barack Obama did in 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, totally. Because Cherry Beasley, what I when I think political dynamism, I think Barack Obama and Cherry Beasley. Right. Exactly. I mean, they're like carbon copies of each other. It's crazy. I mean, good luck. But also abortion access. They're hoping this is the issue. Although I saw stat today, uh, if you track the, uh, the 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 Google searching and you compare, uh, I believe it was crime. Crime versus abortion. I think it was crime. Yeah, crime and abortion. And you look at the Google searches and uh, uh, crime was higher than abortion. And then the Dobbs ruling came out and abortion went above it. And then, uh, you know, fast forward to right now and abortion Google searches are now way back down to their pre Dobbs level and crime has been uh, the same. So it's now uh, trending higher than abortion as a search uh, as a searched topic. What do we make of that? I don't know. But it seems like it might not be the motivating issue for a lot of voters anymore. Actually, it isn't. In a September Emerson College poll of likely North Carolina voters, 59% of respondents said they were much more likely to vote due to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Likely North Carolina voters. 12% of respondents also said that abortion was their number one issue heading into the midterms. 12%. That is a figure that is dwarfed by those who identified the economy as their key issue. Yeah, the economy. It's the economy, stupid. This was what got Bill Clinton elected. It's the economy. Beasley has tried to contrast her and uh, Ted Budd's views on abortion. But uh, if you just look at the breakdown of the stats here, the economy Jobs, inflation, taxes, all of that, the number one by a large margin. The economy is 41%, number one issue for 41% of the respondents. Number two comes in like, gosh, 36 points behind. The number two issue is threats to democracy. I don't know. I'm assuming those are Democrat voters. Like if I just look, if I just break down these, because then the next one is abortion access at 12%, health care at 11%, something else at 8 Education at four, immigration at four, crime at three, COVID at two, housing affordability less than one. If you break down these numbers and kind of lump them all together as to where you think people would kind of go, like economy, people mad about the economy, I'm thinking they're probably going to vote for the Republican. So that's 41% Republican. Threats to democracy, abortion access, health care, probably Democrats. Throw all of them together, you're at like 47%. But when you add in immigration and crime, that takes the GOP to 48%. What does all that mean? It's a very close race. Candidates matter. So, you know, this this debate tomorrow night might actually uh might actually matter. Now, there is a thing that's been making the rounds on the North Carolina politics hashtag on Twitter, which if you're not on Twitter, uh uh, uh go get an account and uh, follow me uh because uh, we have some fun on the Twitter machine. Um if you are on Twitter, follow me. I'm at Pete Callender. But the um 
there's a, it's a thing. No, I don't want to update you. Gosh. Um, we've got the NCPOL, NC Politics hashtag, which is a sort of – it's a category where everything kind of gets uh, sorted into. So if you, you want to learn about North Carolina politics, you want to engage with people, NCPOL with the little number sign in front of it, that's what gets you the list of people posting in that hashtag. And somebody, I don't know who who did it, they put together a bingo card for the NC Politics hashtag storytellers. These are the media people, the storytellers. <laughs> I will tell you what the bingo card categories are and a really good example of it in real time. Up next. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We got some bingo. North Carolina politics storyteller bingo. I do not know who made it. I have a, I have a hunch, but I don't know for sure. So these are the categories on the uh, North Carolina politics storyteller bingo card. Storytellers being the media folks who like to tell stories, right? That's what we tell stories. Um... So we're going to just, I'm going to run right across the top row here. There were only four cat. It's a four by four grid. So it's not actually bingo. It would just be bing, right? There's only four. I'm not sure they're aware of that. It should be actually five, right? B-I-N-G-O. Anyway, breaking news outlet endorses Democrat candidate, right? Bingo. So wait for that one to show up. So like, these are the things that you're looking for in North Carolina media, right? These are the stories that they have a breaking alert that, some news outlet has endorsed a Democrat candidate. Or how about uh, presenting some 2022 data, but not going to give you any kind of historical comparison? Or how about Dems are way up in early voting, but they always are. Or how about our opinion department is completely separate from our news department? Next row. Democrats are way up in early voting, and you got to use more than why uh, one why when you report that way up. You got to say it like that way up. Next grid box says North Carolina Supreme Court protects democracy. <laughs> Number, uh, next one. This is a true toss up, and then a blowout loss ensues. <laughs> yeah, the predictions are awful. Uh, candidates did not respond to request for comment. After the story was written. Or how about this one? This one I always, I will say this, like, if you ever hear me doing coverage on election, uh, for an election, and if I ever say this phrase, then you are in on the joke. Okay? Here's the phrase. It's going to come down to turnout. <laughs> right. Yes. That That is generally what happens. It's like saying, it's all going to come down to who scores more points. Yeah. Uh, the other one, this is interesting. Now, I have a, a bit of a different take on this one, which is not it's this is interesting. It's it'll be interesting to see fill in the blank. It'll be interesting to see. Well, yeah, of course, it will be interesting to see. I mean, if it's interesting enough for you to be talking about it right now, but uh, you don't know what's going to happen. So you're just predicting that it's going to be interesting, which you actually don't know. It might not be interesting. But here's the thing. If it's not interesting, you're not going to come back and tell us that you were wrong in your prediction, will you? No, of course not. This is the way that a lot of people in media will camouflage their opinions. Uh, next up, 
This is no prediction, and then immediately make a prediction. Fact check one candidate's mail, but not the other. That is, that is so prevalent in North Carolina politics. Media that does the fact checking of the mailers that is, they're probably stuffing your mailbox right now, right? Uh, they'll do the fact checks of one candidate, but not their opponent. Uh, they'll release a poll, but not tell you uh, about any of their past polls' credibility, right? So they partner up with some polling firm, public policy polling, and they will um, put these polls out, and they have just such a terrible track record. But they keep doing work with these same polling outfits, (coughs) PPP, and they just keep doing it, and they never tell you how wrong they have been in the past. Um, Next up, we cover business and politics, but they're major donors only to the Democrats. That, okay, that one is a bit specific. That one's right, that's a bit specific. That's uh, Colin Campbell's uh, outfit, I think. Um, let's see. Uh, break the majority, and then that's crossed out. Stop the supermajority, and then that's crossed out. Uh, fact check the mail, and then that's crossed out, and it says, we need more Sam Wang maps. Okay, that is really inside baseball. Sam Wang was the guy from Princeton who wrote, who drew up all the gerrymandered maps for the Democrats to win under the, the special masters that the Democrats appointed in a totally bipartisan, apolitical way. Right, yes, yeah, that's Sam Wang. Um, and then uh, U.S. Supreme Court threatens democracy is the last one. So that's the bingo card. So here's an example. In that story, this is from 538.com. In the story, they quote, Catawba College professor of politics and history, Dr. Michael Bitzer. He says, to me, it seems like Beasley is doing everything she needs to do to be competitive and potentially win. But without a financial investment from the Democratic Party, I'm not sure that she's going to make it across the finish line. So it's a prediction. Not sure she's going to make it across the finish line. It's also kind of a call to, hey, you know, maybe we get some more money in here so we can get her across the finish line. Like, it's it's almost like an active lobbying effort to get more money from out of outside of the state in order to, to get the seat into Democrat control. Almost. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to assume motives or anything. 